Very good. Is it, I it, do believe maybe it's because of Thanksgiving, but there's several families gone today. I can notice maybe uh, several are catching us on, on our streaming this morning, so I welcome everybody that's able to join us. A uh, number of families taking advantage. I, I understand the kids are out all week. So, so that's a, it's a good time to get away, right? So the kids are out, and so they don't have school Monday or Tuesday, and therefore they could go. Anyway, all right. We are, we are taking the opportunity here today and next week, we're going to wrap up Ecclesiastes. Uh, and so it's been, you know, maybe several sermons we've been going through this. Ah, can I say wearisome book? Uh, it, it is not easy to go through, and perhaps you've gone through it and read through it and, and wondered, what is he saying? There's some very encouraging things that are definitely in here, but, but if I could remind you as we get closer and closer wrapping this up, I want to go back to chapter 1, just a couple of verses to remind you, kind of the very basis for the whole book is, is laid out in verses 12 and 13. They're, they're the writer of Ecclesiastes, which means congregation, or so we think in some ways it's the people he's speaking to, but also the name Colette has come up. And so we're, there's question marks about who, it, who is, is actually writing this book. Definitely whether Solomon wrote it or is influencing it. Uh, we, we see that in verse 12 when it says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. So that's why many people just say, hey, that's Solomon. And so a, a greater part of this content of this book is written because of Solomon or through Solomon or whether he wrote it with his own hand. Later in life, we do believe that, that he's lived his life to the full and, and, and getting closer and closer to that time uh, when, when he was to die. Verse 13 then lays out, here's Ecclesiastes. You want to know what it's about? Verse 13 is, is kind of describes what the whole thing is about. He says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. And everything that he finds is in Ecclesiastes. Every, everything about this investigation using his mind is wisdom. Uh, the, the, he ventures into life saying, man, he is, obviously, I, I believe what he's looking for is meaning is significance in life. And we also have already seen, you know, weeks and weeks, what have we seen? Uh, his, his final conclusion is, man, it's meaningless. Everything's meaningless. Another way to put that is, is something, there's, there's nothing to really put your hands on to grasp and take with you. That's, that's what he means. It's, it's, like, it's like chasing after the wind, another part. It's, it's something I can't get my hands on. So Solomon, there, there's a couple of statements that come to mind, especially in chapter 9 we're looking at. The first 10 verses of chapter 9. In chapter 9, I think he comes to, uh, it, this would be a good location. Say, well, okay, I want to see his, his total conclusion and, and, and his thoughts about that. Uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, that's where we are today. But there's a couple of statements I think that, that would be applicable to Solomon before he says, I'm going to investigate everything under the sun, this life. Uh, first of all, uh, what you don't know won't hurt you, right? I, hey, if, if you want to, to live life and, and, and you know, hey, just don't find things out. Don't, don't 
uh, investigate, you know, go live in a hole somewhere. And because, hey, listen, the truth about life is it's difficult. Uh, ignorance is bliss might be another statement that would be good. Instead, Solomon invests everything into investigating what this life is like under the sun. In Solomon's investigation of all that is done under the sun, he is troubled by his conclusions. In today's text, uh, again, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, the beginning part of that, let me lay it out for you before we read it. In the first six verses, he lays out uh, specific facts. He said, this is life. These are the facts of life. He's laying them out. And in 7 through 10, he lays out, because of these facts, this is how to live. So, so let's, let's read through that. Listen for that. The first six verses, again, he's laying out the facts, the very truths of life. And, and here's how he says it. Verse, nine, uh, verse 1 says, So I, I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. First of all, before I go on, to, to lead up to this, chapter 8, chapter 7 and 8, is really focused upon wisdom. We talked about wisdom the last time we were get, uh, together. Some, some very basic, wonderful qualities that comes from wisdom. And, and towards 8, he talks about wisdom and righteousness, and even some, some brokenness that seems to be in there. That the wicked continue to exist, so do the wise. And, and, and what's the benefit? Matter of fact, maybe even that question rises. Why, why even, you know, be wise? What benefit is there? What's the significance of, of being righteous wise? Again, it's like the wind. You can't get a hold of it. it. There's no significance even in that. So in verse 1, he says, I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are not in God's, are, are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take those oaths. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes them all. The, the hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a little dog, even, excuse me, even a live dog is better, than, uh, better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. And even their, their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Then, okay, that's, that's the beginning part. Now the second part, which he does not say therefore, but I, I do believe it could be stated in there. Begins in verse 7. He says, Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. All 
the days of your meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. Uh, Do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Yeehaw! (laughs) This is one of those really encouraging passages uh, that that you find. And and it just seems, I'll just say this, it just seems like uh, this is a disgruntled man, right? We've talked about this, and it is, I, I will be glad to be past Ecclesiastes. I hope you're going to glean some of the very good things. And I, I, I do believe there's some, some things that we could especially grasp, especially for us today as we look through this. So that's, that's what I'm pursuing. I want you to be encouraged today. But first of all, we got to waddle through the discouragement that, that Solomon's laying out. Are you ready for that? Okay, some of the discouragement is actually found in in these facts. Because, uh, again, in those first six verses, Solomon lays out some basic facts in life that humanity, here's the problem, that humanity cannot change, cannot alter. When I say these are the facts, we can't change them, we we can't change them at all. So the first fact that we see is in verse 1, and this is really great. Solomon recognizes that God is sovereign. So the, the, the truth over all of life is that God is sovereign. Again, he was reflecting about the wise and the unwise, the wise and, 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 and the, uh, uh, those who are uh, righteous, that, that even, even they are unable to grasp or get a hold of, of anything, any kind of significance in life. And he comes to that point, even the, the righteous and the wise, that they're basically in God's hands. Whatever they do, it, it's in God's hands. Ultimately, everything that's done under the sun is within God's control, his realm. We're living in his realm, his world. Uh, God, because why? Because God is sovereign. He's God and we are not. That is, that is just a flat-out truth that, that all of us have to accept. Solomon embraces that, just says that's the way it is. We live in God's world ordained by his rules, his laws, uh, you know, gravity, even those things are established uh, as, as God has created. Uh, in that, I, I find it very interesting, and you might catch on this as well, but at, at the end it says, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. You know, at the end of all things, it's speaking about God. You know, at the end of all things, the righteous and the wise, it's still in God's hands. Who, who knows what's coming, as Solomon is saying? Who knows whether they're going to be received with love or with hate? He has big question marks. Why, why is Solomon so frustrated? I think it comes in that first verse. He, he really, and, and I believe it's part of this, that, that man, I can't touch it. I can't see it. I can't experience it. In some ways, I believe the Solomon says, therefore, it doesn't exist. Let me take you back that, that I find, man, the ties with the previous verse. Chapter 8, verse 17. Here's what he says. He said, then I saw all that God has done. No one could comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts, 
uh, to search it out. No one could discover its meaning. That's what Solomon is finding out. I can't find meaning. I can't find what grass that goes beyond that, that thing of death. He says, even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. See, if I said anything, who did Solomon know? Well, one, one person for sure is David, who, who himself was, was wise in how he lived his life, uh, not perfect by any means. But, but David had a confidence that went beyond his own son Solomon. Again, I, I think I said this earlier on, but in, in, in the Psalms, in one particular Psalms, he said, uh, said that about eternity, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The end of that Psalm 23, where the Lord is my shepherd, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe David lived with confidence in God. Just absolute confidence. Not just for this life. You know, there, there he said, you know, uh, that, that I'm going to walk in that love and mercy all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house. So he had a, he had a confidence in my life today, and I have my confidence in the life to come. Solomon did not. That's a sad place to be. It's a sad place to be to say that, that, man, there are limits around us. Matter of fact, that's where he goes next. Uh, not, not to get off, but, but in verses 2 and 3, first of all, he, he states very clearly the, the first fact is that God is sovereign, but also this fact, death is certain. Death is certain. Verses 2 and 3, especially, let me remind you what it said in 2. It says, all share a common destiny. Uh, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and unclean, goes on and on. Is that they all share a common dis- destiny. Verse 3 says, man, this is an evil. That, that at the end, we all share the same thing. And that is, we all share death. Uh, that's what we have to look forward to. Now, the world around us, let's face it, the world, we want to stay that off, right? There, there, I, I believe there's also those who are investigating, you know, what is the possibility of eternal life? Uh, just, just watched a little news. Um, I think it was NBC had a, a program a while back, and it was, it was on, et, you know, eternal life or prolonging life. It was more focused on prolonging life. And man... Let's just face it, we do things to prolong life. Just we want to be safe, safety belt, helmets, you know, things like that. When virus is here, we're going to wear a mask, get a vaccine. You know, those things are offered because, hey, we don't want to die of those things. And, and then we're protected by other vaccines and, and, and do other things to protect. Maybe we're taking supplements. You know, my wife believes in vitamin C, you know, build up the immunity system, right? And, and things like that. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever we can to prolong life. But, but let me tell you, science is, is very much involved in, in biology engineering. They believe in it. Uh, they're looking at turning aging backwards. Anybody interested? Yeah, turn aging backwards. Let's do that. Uh, they are investigating and, and making advances in the area of tissue regeneration. In California, you could go someplace and have a blood transfusion with someone that, that's younger than you, like 16 to 20-year-olds. I don't know what that does. I don't know whether that invigorates you or something like that. Uh, but, but anyway, it could happen. You could go get a blood transfusion with someone who's, who has younger blood. Um, uh, there, there was an example. One, one guy named uh, Dave Asprey, 
he, he plans, right now he's pretty confident he's going to live to 180 years old. That's really long compared to what we have today. The, the man has taken 150, uh, 150 supplements every day. Yeah, I'll give up the other 90 years, right? Because I don't want to take that many supplements every day. Who wants to be around that long anyway? But uh, anyway, he's, he also invests a lot of his millions in this area of, of biology, you know, and, and uh, engineering, in, in that area of engineering, trying to stay off aging. I, it's it's kind of where we are. I, I think we'd be a lot like Solomon. Why death? Because that's the grand conclusion. The, the truth is, statistically, those who are wealthy live longer than those who are poor. I think it's always been the case. Right now, statistically, uh, if, if you're rich, you have a chance of living 12 years longer than the average uh, of, of those who are poor. Uh, so, so to say that we can invest and do some things for our health and last longer, absolutely. I think that's possible. You can't stay off death. Even that, that man, Dave Asprey, when he said, uh, I, I'm right now planning to live 180 years, he says, unless I get hit by a truck, Right? Good luck in 180 years missing all those trucks. I, yeah, who knows? The truth is, bottom line, you're going to die. It, it is the curse that we have been given because of sinfulness. Matter of fact, the next truth is laid out the very last part of, of verse 3 in that sentence that says, um, the hearts of people Moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. He basically said, this, this is a truth, that the hearts of people are full of evil. The hearts of people are full of evil. I think he's included in that. I, I, and I believe that as he says it, he identifies the evil in himself. He had to. To say that he, is, he, he has broken one of the major laws about honoring God. And the fact that he even established shrines and temples and places of worship on behalf of gods who were no gods at all, on behalf of his wives. He was involved in sinfulness himself. Everyone sinned. Matter of fact, we see that picked up by Paul as well. A truth that is for us all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Take ownership of that. So, so here, here's the truth we see so far. It is that God is, is sovereign. He's overall. It's his world. It's his way. And, and, and death is certain. And there's sinfulness in every heart. There's sinfulness. There's evilness, evil in all humanity. And we have to, again, we have to accept all those things. There, there is one other truth that he lays out in, in verses 4 through 6. Here, here he says... Only where there is life, there is hope. Be careful how I say that. Trying to be positive. I mean, hope itself is positive, right? But only where there is life, there's hope. Only where there's life, there's hope. Here's how he says it in verse 4, actually. He says, anyone who is among the living has hope. What's he saying? What exactly is is, uh, Solomon laying out here? In other words, hope is lost when you're dead. When there's death, that, that's the end of it. If you go on reading the, the verses that follow, uh, hope is gone 
Love is gone. Hate is gone. Jealousy is gone. Emotions, uh, character, uh, traits. It's done. Solomon's depressing. <laughs> when you take, remove hope, don't only, only in life, that's when hope is effective. So, so hope is... Matter of fact, here's Solomon's frustration. And I'll say just rather quickly, okay, God is sovereign, but under God, you know, what he's given to us, it's absolutely limited. Life is limited because of death, right? And hope is limited because of death. And guess what? Sinfulness, evil is limitless, that I, when you read through there, he, he's saying this is the way things are. This is the way things are. So what's interesting is what does he do with that? What does he do with that? Uh, in, in Beginning in verse 7 and through 10, here's his conclusion. I mean, again, his research is laid out. Here are the cold hard facts. Here's what we do with it. Solomon's response is to, pay, I, I see it as a surrender. So what do we do? You take what you get. That's the second point. Solomon's response is to surrender and take what you get. I mean, his, his white flag is up, and he's saying, take advantage of the limited time you have on this world. Carpe diem, right? Carpe diem. You know, seize the day would be the, the idea. Verse 7, we've heard this time and time again. Eat and drink. You know, eat and drink. Eat, eat. You know, to the gladness of heart and, and, and drink, uh, to the joy is what he says in verse 7. Uh, and and so, so it, it goes along with that idea of being content. Be content with what you have. But, but even in verse, uh, well, excuse me, I want to go back to 7. Uh, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. And here's what I didn't want to miss because there he adds this, for God has already approved what you do. And I want you to understand what Solomon is probably seeing here because it goes in context with everything he said before. What has he been saying? Well, wickedness continues to exist. So, so basically, I think Solomon is saying because God is showing patience, he sees approval through God's patience. He hasn't brought his judgment down on the wicked. They continue to live, and the, those who are righteous continue to live, and, and they both live, and, and, and they all die in the same place. Therefore, God has approved of how you live. And so what we're left with is, you know, take advantage of life. Live in contentment. Uh, the next verse, verse 8 Basically says, live a joyful life. Pursue, pursue that idea of celebration even. At the beginning of 8, you might think, like I did when I first read it, uh, which is an indication in the, in the New Testament, especially Revelation. In verse 8, it says, always be clothed in white. And what is that in the New Testament? I mean, that means purity. It means righteousness. Clothe yourself in white. Matter of fact, you'll see that in Revelation very clearly. But in the context here, it's talking about that celebration. It's, you know, put on your party clothes. Look for reasons to be involved in joyful celebration. It goes along with the next phrase because that's not a ceremonial thing to, to anoint your head in oil. It is a comforting thing in that time in a dry, arid place. Man, it felt good to put oil in your hair. 
So, so do what's comfortable. Find those reasons to celebrate. I mean, yeah, hey, weddings, uh, births, birthdays, I, I don't know, uh, new friendships, holidays, whatever. Find a reason to celebrate. In this life, you want to take advantage of this life, celebrate through, you know, celebrate and find reason for joy in the days. All right? And, 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 uh, and verse 9, it says, enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your wife. Uh, uh, let me just read that. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. Ladies, enjoy your husband. I'm sure that turns that around. It's interchangeable. Uh, this is how you, I mean, take advantage of what God has given you. She is a gift. He is a gift. Created what? Because of loneliness. Uh, she is, she and he, your, your spouse is that, that source to overcome the loneliness that you'd have in life without them. And so enjoy your life. I take advantage of what God has given you in this giftedness. I, I want to use this verse for a wedding sometime. Because the whole content of verse 9, you know, boy, it throws in that your meaningless life. Did you hear that? Uh, let, me, let me read it again because it's so much fun. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of your meaningless life. Solomon, right? Could, could you imagine that in the vows? You know, I'll, I'll use Bill and Ginger. It says, uh, I, Bill, take Ginger to be my wife. Okay, okay, good. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish you all the days of your miserable, no, not miserable, your meaningless life. Sorry. I didn't mean that on Bill at all, okay? So, so anyway, I got make, want to make that clear. But could you imagine putting that in there? But listen, the last line is usually what? Till death do, we, do us part. Till death do us part. That's kind of the sobering phrase in the promises that, that probably you made in your ceremony. I'm going to do these, these. Boy, that all sounds good until we're separated by death. Oh, why do we even put that in there? Because it's the extent to which we could be united in this life. It's this life. Because there is an ending to it. There's Solomon's frustration. There's his hurt. He cannot see beyond, uh, beyond this life. Can't touch, can't hear, can't feel, can't experience what goes beyond death. Now the world... The world can definitely embrace this message. Man, God, who, who is absolutely sovereign, has given to us. And he deserves praise for it. Isn't that right? He's given to us life. He gives to us every day. And, and he, he wants us to live in contentment. Absolutely. He wants us to live in joy. He wants us to enjoy his, his, uh, his creation. Uh, the, the ability to taste, I mean, to drink and to, to eat and find those reasons to celebrate. We have an opportunity this week to, to enjoy a Thanksgiving. And, and, you know, hopefully you're able to be with family. That gives you one of those reasons to celebrate and find joy in your days. I, I think that in itself is praise before God to find joy in a day. And then to, to have the words to say, God, I praise you. I praise you for my family. I praise you for this big turkey on the table. I praise you for the food and for every day that you give. There's reason because he is sovereign. And, and Solomon missed the potence in just being so hindered 
and should have been like dad. You know, if, if he were like his dad, to just trust God and that he has more than, than just the things that he could experience, like, like, like David. Often, and, and today's no different, I've always had to turn to the New Testament because we could read through Solomon and we could be left there and say, okay, God is sovereign, enjoy what God has given, make good use of it, and, and look to be honoring of God. I can, I can make that point out of the Old Testament, but we know what's coming in the New Testament. Isn't the coming of Jesus significant? Because I believe that as, as Solomon is surrendered and said, this is all we have, there's a different kind of surrender for us. God has given us a greater option for our surrender. For our surrendering, saying, man, this is the way things are. You are sovereign, and, and therefore I submit. And, and, it, and it comes in this. God in his sovereignty is without limits. Isn't that Right? That, that, that's the absolute truth. God in his sovereignty is without limits. He goes beyond even the limits that Solomon has addressed. And we know that today. He goes beyond the limits that, that Solomon sees no way that those things could be changed. Where death is certain, God brings life eternal. Where death is certain, God brings life eternal. And he's done it through Jesus. He's done it through Jesus. Let me read for you Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. In this verse, he's speaking about Jesus and, and coming into this earth to, to, to live and to exist for the sake of, of humanity. He says it like this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus came, he died, and he conquered death. Now Solomon had trouble because he couldn't see, hear, or experience, or there was no evidence for life after death. Guess what? In the death of Jesus, he... he Three days in the tomb, he came out of the tomb and he spent time with his apostles. To one, he, he presented his hands. To one who doubted, he presented his hands and, and showed the nail scars and, or, or the, the scars in his hands and, and lifted, you know, had it presented where the spear was thrust into his side. He said, Man, if you want to put your hand right here, check it out. He appeared to his apostles. And even Paul says, man, to, on one day he appeared to 500 people to give an evidence that Jesus, once dead, now alive, has conquered death. So what's the significance in that? Paul also said, if you're like him in his death, if you submit to him in his death, submit to what he's done for you, then you will be like him in his resurrection. Solomon, wouldn't you love to hear that? Wouldn't you love to see what God has done through his son Jesus sent him in this world? Death is, is no longer that certainty. That life is available through Jesus. Where the heart of people is evil, 
That, that's that another unlimitless sinfulness in our lives. Where the heart of people is evil, God has provided a means for forgiveness. It comes through Jesus through that sacrifice. And the only limit, the only limit is where that forgiveness is actually rejected. The only limit is where people just say, not for me, or I won't believe in Jesus as Savior. It is, it really truly is a, a limitless forgiveness to cover the sins for those who will receive it. Those who will accept and receive it. And he is required, I mean, it, and we are to submit we are to surrender ourselves to him, to his sacrifice, and, and for our own sinfulness. Finally, hope is not limited. <laughs> it's not limited to just this life, but through death and into eternity. That's our hope. Uh, here, here's just the bottom line. Does that news, does that message not change our lives? Solomon was a miserable man, frustrated, he wrote throughout Ecclesiastes. We see at times, meaningless, meaningless, everything's just meaningless. But our message is so much different than that, because it's not just this day. We, we praise God for this day, but we have the opportunity to say, God, we praise you for what's yet to come. And we could, man, we, we could pursue, we could find joy and, and all those things and, and celebrate God for everything he's given. But it also changes the way we look at life. It, it is that idea of submission. What can I do for you? How can I live for you? Because my life is yours. He's Lord. My life is yours. I'm, I'm going to submit to your sovereignty. I'm going to submit to the salvation you've given me. What, what can I do? It's laid out in Scripture. You know, Jesus told his disciples, you know, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to follow after Jesus, your Savior. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> that sounds kind of anti-self. It's not about me in this life. It really is about the Savior who died for me, who gave me an opportunity to live. Paul later on says, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. Wouldn't Solomon have loved that phrase and have been able to be able to use that? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. For me to continue to live this life is for the benefit of the Savior who died for me. And, and when death comes, what I've been anticipating, looking forward to, and, and, and uh, uh, knowing that's ahead, my hope is laid on that, I'm entering into that, what he calls rest. Rest. I don't know. Our perspectives, so we, we, we enter a time where we're going to be thankful this, this coming Thursday, right? When we're together, and we're thankful for what God has given, what, what, he, what he's bestowed upon us. I mean, family, a home, uh, all, all the things we be so thankful for. But, but bottom line, we need to be thankful for Jesus. He's the difference in our lives. He's the difference in our lives. He, he is our salvation. He's in looking into life, not just this life today, but into life eternal. Isn't that right? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for Jesus. 
We thank you, Father, that we're living in a time that we know your means of salvation. We know the fact that you have conquered death through Jesus. Father, that he came to life, that he, he today is, is seated at your right hand. Father, we praise you for his position, knowing that, that uh, as we've received Christ, that that, that uh, representation is always there before him for our sinfulness, our brokenness, and for the sinfulness uh, of those around us. Father, we pray that more and more people will come to know you and live a life according uh, to, to Jesus as our Savior. God, we praise you for this morning. We praise you for the opportunity we have to understanding your word. We thank you, Father, for the words of, of Solomon who lays it out. It makes it clear that what we've been given, especially today in Jesus, is, is priceless and is worth our lives, worth living for you and loving you in, in our every day. God, we thank you for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.